Hello and welcome on The Berry Case. This is your host, Maria Cernat, an academic based in Bucharest, Romania. And uh, On The Barricades is a podcast produced by Eastern European academic journalists, activists, and it's all thing Eastern Europe. But today we discuss a broader issue, an issue that unfortunately is effective women worldwide. And uh, we are invited a psychotherapist and uh, an activist, feminist, Harriet Fraud, uh, who is going to discuss today with us a thorny issue, very thorny issue related to sex work. Should we call it sex work? What are the advantages or disadvantages? Should we call it prostitution? Should we call women prostituted women or just prostitutes? Or should we call them sex workers? And why is it that feminists find it so difficult to find a common ground on this? Why is it that you see nowadays such vitriol, such venom being spread, especially online, when issues related to this topic come along? So, Harriet, what's your take on it? First of all, why do you think there is such, you know, a division within the feminist camp with regards to, to sex work? Well, there are divisions within the feminist camp, period. There are corporate feminists who see gender as the only issue, and they want equality within a system of greater and greater inequality for the mass of people, and they don't care. Emblematic of that is Gloria Steinem, an avowed CIA agent who was paid a fortune by the CIA to infiltrate the, the women's liberation movement and make it a gender only movement. So that the point is that women enter the class system equally with men and can advance the corporate ladder as quickly as men and have no problem exploiting anyone underneath them. Hillary Clinton is emblematic of that corporate feminism. She didn't wanna raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour when she ran even though 65% of minimum wage workers are women, often with children to support, she wanted to offer $12.50. Well, because that isn't really her concern. Her concern is women to make it beyond the glass ceiling in the corporate boardroom. Those are capitalist women, corporate capitalist women. So there are class divisions and there are also the mass of women who don't make much money. One of the big predictors of poverty in the United States is becoming a mother. Because since men don't support women the way they used to, often they can't, and in any case they don't, and the majority of American women are now single by choice, men, women on minimum wage can barely support themselves no less a child. Two workers on minimum wage working full-time in the United States can't afford a two-bedroom apartment in any city, state, or county in the whole United States. So you have corporate feminists who are capitalist feminists. Then you also have socialist feminists who want to see that women are not only equals, but that 
women's rights are considered as full human rights. That's the radical proposition that all women, regardless of income, are human beings and have to be treated with respect. So those are huge class divisions. There's also racial divisions. Our country is racially divided and black women are, they're not now, black women actually make more than black men now and are much more likely to be educated and more ambitious. But black women have historically been more exploited than white women. And you also have gender divisions in our country where women are often sexualized in omnipresent advertisements. They're draping their bodies over a car to sell it or you know, selling chewing gum by looking sexy or whatever. If you look at the hosts on nighttime television, the women are looking very beautiful and sexy. The men are not, you know, it doesn't matter. There's a, a sexualization, a gender sexualization of women, which overlaps, of course, with capitalism because sex sells and it's used to sell. All these things are commingled. We could look at them as different strands, but they're commingled. And in terms of calling it sex work versus prostitution, well, prostitution has a moral weight of the mm -hmm. fallen woman, mm -hmm. the woman who has it somehow disgraced herself, even though it's not of her own volition. And some feminists, and I am certainly one of them that has done this, want to call it sex work because you make someone else work for you by selling her sex in a capitalist way in a brothel, or, or you use her as a slave. Or like in the collective in India, in India they have the biggest collective of prostitutes that exists in the world, 20,000 women, and they have their own factory for birth control. They have their own bank because the same banker who has paid sex with a woman at night won't give her a loan the next day. They give college loans for people's kids and for them and all sorts of loans because they have their own bank. And they also have their own um, menstruation products factories. They're a big operation. And that's a very successful cooperative. And it's in Calcutta, one of the poorest areas of India, where women have said, okay, we're part of a capitalist system of prostitution for money, but at least we'll build a future with that money. This, but they have, every woman shares her wages and they all get benefits. That's more like a communist or communal way of organizing prostitution. And I think by calling it sex work, it's an attempt, however unsuccessful, to separate out prostitution as the act of the fallen woman who has somehow mm -hmm. fallen, just tripped over her own two feet and not been pushed down by poverty and race and gender to be exploited by men. So, you know, it's, very, it's a difficult terrain because you don't want to rob women of their dignity because their only way of making a living or is prostitution or because they've been enslaved directly as slaves in the slave means of production rather than the capitalist means of production. It's hard. It's a very difficult terrain for feminists. And I think that corporate feminists 
tend not to look, well, they don't look at the class element, which is huge in prostitution. Wealthy women are not vulnerable to prostitution the way poor women are. And that's incontestable. Poor women are vulnerable because they're desperate for opportunities to actually make a living. And also because they're desperate to escape poverty and fall for the blandishments of men who pretend to love them and will give them opportunities and then turn on them and enslave them. So it's a difficult terrain. I'd say very, very difficult because the first time when I heard the phrase sex worker, I thought, yes, this is a better way to rename um, and to somehow um, rethink the whole process and it will offer women a better um a better status but at the same time i'm not entirely convinced that this is the way to move forward for two reasons first of all rebranding something that is inherently exploitative is just offering a feel-good medicine and not addressing the real issue the second thing, I'm afraid that there are those libertarian feminists that can be associated with the corporate feminists, like you call them, who think uh, in terms of the market, the whole system of sexual exploitation. And I think they live on another planet because their explanation goes like this. There is a sexual market. On the sexual market, the offer meets the demand. And when the offer meets the demand, then you have some sort of a contract and um, there is no exploitation whatsoever. It is only our conservative views that makes us uh, see exploitation there because women freely choose to do this work and to go into this line of work. And for them is empowerment and empowering and uh, a very good way to move out of the feudal arrangement of a traditional family. So <laughs> I, I think that's very naive in a sense because mm -hmm. things do not happen like this. As I explained no. in our conversation, uh, because we had a back and forth uh, email exchange and this is how we decided to, to discuss this. Well, I live very close to, a, to an area where this type of, type of the so-called sexual market exists. I mean, even now it's, it's very cold outside this winter and you could see that the poor women staying there and hoping to, to see some man that would give them money in exchange for their sexual uh, uh, favors to actually use them as commodities. And... Uh, you know, I would say that if somebody thinks that you just go there and you just do this type of work, they have to be or naive or cynical because I don't think it will take more than an hour for the pimps to come to beat up that person, to rape her and make her their slaves. And you know what? The, the, the even tragic part of it is that she will eventually accept because the client will be afraid to kill her because, because she will then be damaged goods of the pimp and he will be afraid of the pimp. 
you know, and she mm -hmm. will accept this arrangement. I mean, this is the brutal reality. There is no market. There is no demand offered, you know, and they meet in this perfectly, you know, neutral universe where everybody is free and everybody chooses. This is pure insanity, I would say. It has nothing to do with reality. And no. you know, and uh, the second thing that, that bothers me, but maybe I will leave it for, for the, the second part. I will just announce it now. I don't think uh, fetishizing choice, you know, would lead us anywhere because of course women can choose. They are not idiots. Of course, they can choose. Why they, cho they choose from the options that the society gives them. Mm. The, the abolitionist position is not saying that women can't choose because they are stupid or mentally impaired or that they are somehow inferior. No, they are perfectly intelligent human beings that can make their own choices. What they lack is opportunity, right? Not the ability. So this is a fallacy, you know, because most of the libertarians, in my opinions, focus on individual choice where this is not the issue. Of course, you can choose because you're not an idiot, right? You know what to choose for yourself. But where are the opportunities? Where are the options, right? Also, what you talk about is that for some women, you're not choosing if you somebody seems to be romantically interested in you and you're taught that love is all that matters and then they beat you, rape you, and prostitute you, that is no longer a choice. You're not choosing because the whole relationship has changed. And if you're talking about economic coercion, it's not choice. If you're desperate for money and you know you can make money as a prostitute, you might do that because what choice do you have? You have no choices. And so that that model is only, it presupposes equal opportunity and equal income, which we don't have. In the United States, the top 1% owns 90% of the United States wealth. So what are we talking about? Yeah. That's crazy. And so if you don't look at economic coercion and physical coercion, you miss the boat. You. It doesn't make sense. And so that, that that corporate kind of feminism is purposely blind to class dynamics because they benefit from them. And so, of course, I disagree. So. Of course, I disagree. But then, you know, if work is time, and exertion physically and emotionally for money, then sex could be counted as work. And not women's natural thing to do. I mean, one of the reasons to call it work is it takes it out of the realm that women are just there to be fucked. I mean, no, that isn't women's nature. In the United States, a big survey came up with the results that most women would rather have a hug than have sex. 
because it's more emotionally intimate for a lot of women. And so that just, it's a blindness cultivated by class privilege to pretend that this is free choice. No, it's not. It's economic coercion. And no one on the street that you ask is there because she thinks that's the way to fulfillment. Now, sometimes women have a drug habit because their lives are so painful, they need to change the way that pain looks. And then they might need to feed the economic coercion because of their habit makes them go on the street and prostitute themselves. There's all sorts of reasons, but none of them is a choice without coercion. So that that's just purposeful class blindness. It's like you could make it if you really try. No, you can't. Really, some people are born into opportunities and privileges and other people aren't. Yes, and I was talking to Yana Matei. She's, um, she has this uh, NGO and she managed to, um, to save more than 600 girls, children basically, because they were as young as 12 from the human trafficking networks. And she often spoke, look, Maria, if you go to this into the streets and you see a woman selling sex and she's in her 20, think about it. She almost spent in the streets if she was prostituted when she was 12. She spent on the street on the streets most of her life. This is her reality now. And she will say, yeah, that's okay, because this is her reality. This is where she basically grew up. So you you have to take into consideration also the way you conduct research. I think um, uh, a lot of research needs to be done here because instead of fighting, we should form collectives with pro-sex work feminists. I mean, those who are not corporate and intentionally blind because there are also those who want to, you know, pretend that we live in this perfect society when where somebody, somebody just like me, you know, who has money and all the rest just decides, you know, to, to go and they are, you know, emphasizing La Belle du Jour, you know, this movie and the, the discussing that, uh, yeah, we all want it, you know, it's uh, our secret fantasy to be abused. Uh, and all the rest but serious feminists who really think that legalizing prostitution is the way to move forward and abolitionists and we should uh, at least investigate in all honesty what's going on uh, because if we lack data and if we lack basic knowledge about what's going on and how we should tackle this phenomenon we there is no way to move forward um, and I would also say I told you that Focusing on the individual is very bad. It is as if uh, Richard Wolf, your partner, would be told like, you are discussing the oppression of workers, but it is their choice to be oppressed. It is their choice. They are choosing it and you are looking down at them. You are considering them idiots uh, and not able to do their own, uh, you know, then take decisions and uh, manage their own lives. <laughs> and, and, and I find this uh, very appalling. I mean, if your husband doesn't face this kind of criticism, why should we? Exactly. But then what would you, what do you call sex work prostitution? What do you call, what is the words that... What Maybe are the sexual words? Sexual exploitation. Okay, sexual exploitation. 
I think that should be sexual exploitation. Uh, I think it, it it would be a good word. This is also a thing to debate, you know, and to find a common ground. As I told you, I don't think that all the people that are pro-sex, I mean, my best friend, she's a feminist and she doesn't share my beliefs, but we try to, to, to find a common ground and to move forward because constantly fighting is not helping the women that are right now staying, you know, very close to where I'm staying and uh, fighting is not going to, to solve the problem. At least this is my take. No, I think what would solve a lot of the problem would be economic opportunity, would be an economy built on cooperatives where people make the decisions about their own work. Of course, they're not going to decide to exploit their jobs or send them to China or anything, where they decide what to produce, how much to produce, and what to do with the proceeds. And if people were given an opportunity in that kind of economy, I don't think they would choose prostitution but you don't know because you don't have an economy yes. that works that way. And so what you do know is that you have an incredibly sexist country, both Romania and the United States, where women are coerced economically, where the only opportunities they're afforded are sexual, where their need for emotional connection is exploited for the profit of a pimp, where male violence helps the exploitation, and where the profit system helps the exploitation, and where also the idea that pimps don't usually come from the top either, that they have a venture capital opportunity by exploiting women or selling drugs or something else. It isn't the wealthy that go into those things. It's people who want economic opportunity and are willing to do anything to get it, which is very much a capitalist ethic. So what you're talking about is you have to dismantle capitalism with its total praise of the rich, no matter how they got their money. Look at Trump, a rapist, mm -hmm. a thief, someone who committed fraud, who, who brags about groping women, who is the president says, I'm rich, I'm rich. And therefore that qualifies him. People are qualified for office because they're a businessman. Well, I don't see why that qualifies you at all, but there's a general almost adulation. You genuflect, you get on one knee to honor wealth, no matter how it's won. And that is, those are capitalist values and they would have to be they would have to be out the window. They'd have to be exposed, attacked, and changed. The same thing is true with sexist values, with gender demotion of women as sex objects. And you'd have to empower children to know they were important and not be desperate. And you'd have to empower children to have a life outside of a family that may, you know, anyone who can get pregnant which is biological, is not capable of necessarily of taking care of a vulnerable life. And children get ground up in the economic and other circumstances of their family. So you have a whole societal thing. You also have race, where some races are considered 
inferior and therefore fine to coerce into prostitution. You know, I have a black friend who says she's followed on the streets by white men in cars thinking she's a prostitute. She doesn't look at all like a prostitute, but the fact that she's black makes men think she's available. That's a, a way that race, gender, and class mix together. And so you'd have to have a different basis of your economy with all of its values to change that. And all people being equal, male, female, black, white, whatever. And that, yes. that would stop it. I would definitely uh, think that would stop it. And I would also think that the way forward, as you said, is to have work disconnected from profitability in a sense that work provides you with a different type of emotional engagement and satisfaction than just money. And then you escape this whole cycle of accepting a lousy job and working for a salary just to take money to buy consumer goods, which is destroying the planet and everything else, and to take work out of the productive circuit to, to divorce it from profit, not to introduce every aspect, including sex, into this circuit, you know, into this cycle, into this productive cycle. So the whole idea, if we truly want to be progressive, I think it's exactly what you said, to, to change the economic system. And this is the, the conclusion I would like uh, very much to, to end on. If you have something to add, please. Because I, I would like to. I would like to. And not only would you have to have a socialism, but I think you'd have to have cooperatives because not everyone is a skilled worker who can go into a profession. But I talked to somebody at Mondragon, which is a city of 103,000 um, people, all in co-ops. And in co-ops, you try to make a product, you try to sell your products, but you collectively decide what to do. And I talked to a woman when I went to Mondragon in Spain. She was putting in piece in um, parts of a dishwasher because they were exporting dishwashers. And I said, well, do you like your job? She said, well, first of all, every two hours the buzzer rings so that you can't do anything more than two hours because it's not good for you. Second of all, it's not that much fun putting parts into a dishwasher. However, I decide what to do. For example, with the recession in Spain, fewer people were buying vacation homes and getting dishwashers. We had to cut back. So we all met and decided, do we want to take a day off a week? Do we want to fire people so they go into other co-ops? What do we want to do? Do we want to get less money? And we decided we'll take another day off. But we all decided together. We're all in a group. And she was in a group of some men, some women, all putting the parts into the dishwashers. But everyone had to participate in what to do. And so everyone was an equal and an economic and political equal, which is very different. And I would want that kind of society without race, class, and gender hierarchies where some people are considered dispensable and to be used by other people. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful way forward and it should be 
explored and it should be um um it should be applied after all it should be applied should be definitely applied. should be and that's what we're working for and hoping yeah. for well here at the barricade we are a collective in a sense that this is how we try to run our small journalistic cooperative uh, from Eastern Europe. And uh, if you liked what you saw, dear viewers, uh, please go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash the barricade. Thank you so much, Harriet, for your insightful thoughts. I really hope the viewers who are mostly male because we good saw the open analytics, good for them, maybe they yeah. learn. And uh, thanks so much for watching and for being here with us, Harriet. It was such a pleasure. It, the pleasure was also mine. Thank you so much.